Dear Heavenly Father, once again we unite our hearts in prayer on a Sunday morning. Lord, we acknowledge our weakness, our sinfulness, our inability to even understand your word without the guidance and direction of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to sing these hymns from the heart to the one of whom they speak. We pray that we would understand that you are the audience for which we sing this morning. And I pray that, Lord, as we get into the time of preaching, that we would hear and understand your word. And at the time of invitation, we would give to you that which is rightfully yours. Lord, we ask for every part of this service, the special music, the offering, the singing, that it would all bring glory to your name. And Lord, you would encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may know or not know that song was written about the life of William Borden. If you've ever heard of Borden Dairy, you still see the Elsie the Cow and all of that. And and uh, he was uh, the heir to the family fortune and supposed to take over the family business. Instead, he went to the mission field and very short time caught some terrible disease and died. And uh, everybody said, what a waste. And when they opened his Bible, there in the flyleaf was written, no reserves. When he tur- And the date that he turned his back on the family fortune and no regrets that he had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 17. And honestly, uh, children, you may be dismissed at this time to the children's church. We uh, maybe should, but we really do not uh, sit down and pick the songs uh, with the sermon titles. But uh, I, I couldn't couldn't pick... Uh, a, a better song to introduce the sermon this morning, Luke chapter 17 and, and verse 5 is a question the apostles ask. And let's just read that. Uh, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. If if we were to uh, say anything today, if there's any need that each one of us in this room would share today, it, it would be the fact that we need our faith to be increased. Would you agree with me? Say amen if you'd agree with that. That, that we need more faith. Faith is the answer. The just shall live by his faith. And and uh, there are times when it just seems like our faith runs short. And that's not God's fault. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You haven't lived everything in this book yet. Uh, therefore, the lack of faith or the inability to have enough faith to deal with the issue... It is not God's problem. He has given us a, a reservoir right here that we can draw from that will answer every problem in life. Yet, I want you to understand something. It's not uh, really uh, 
a strange fact, but this is the only place in the Bible where this statement, where this question uh, is actually recorded that the disciples actually come to the Lord and they say, increase our faith. Give, give us more faith. And, and, and as we go through the passage, we'll find out that there was only, that, that there was really good reason that it was only said one time. Once they got the answer, this was one of those things that you just didn't want to talk a lot about because it's a difficult answer. It's not what we would call, uh, you'll, you'll never hear Joel Olstein preach out of this passage because you don't feel good when it's all done. Uh, yet, if you would say, I want my faith to increase, this is the answer right here. But as we understand our Bible, no one verse, no one passage stands by itself. The Bible is one message. And we are very particular here. Uh, uh, one of the reasons why I, I, if someone says, I feel God's called me to be a preacher, uh, I want them to go to Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City to prepare for the ministry because they're going to be very, very careful about the training they get to keep the, un, the, your understanding of a passage that you preach in context. Now, now, we have a political campaign going on that is just about as nasty as nasty can be. And someone said, has it been ever been this bad? Well, the uh, 1804 political campaign ended... Actually, after the campaign was determined and the president was elected, President Thomas Jefferson, two men got in a rowboat at different times and rowed across the Hudson River to right about where the uh, um, Lincoln Tunnel comes under the river today. And there on the heights, they faced each other with pistols and Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton over the 1804 election. Praise God, it hasn't gotten that bad yet. Uh, so you pray and, and make sure to vote. And uh, you say, who do you vote for? If you have to ask that question, there's an alter... No. Um, uh, you vote for the best rat in the race. And it, it's, it's, there's just not much of a choice this time around. If, if you really have to ask that question, see me afterwards. We'll take care of that. Um, uh, neither candidate is a good choice, but uh, anyway, we'll move on. Let's get to better subjects here. But we got to keep... The reason I brought the candidates up is what is the one thing they've been saying all through... You take me out of context. Have you heard him say that? That that I said those words, but that's not what I meant. Now, you have to be careful with your Bible because you want to keep it in context. You want to keep it in the biblical context. That's the entire message of the Bible. 
you want to keep it in the historical and cultural setting of the context because certain things mean uh, uh, diff- uh, have different uh, shades of meaning based upon what you said. The, uh, most of us in our Bibles will talk about uh, uh, Mary and Joseph's flight into Egypt. Now, did they get on an airplane? I like the little Sunday school picture. The kid had an airplane and he had three little faces in the windows and one in the uh, pilot seat, and, and the Sunday school teacher said, Now, Johnny, there were no airplanes. He said, There was two. He said, Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus on a flight to Egypt. He said, Now, who was flying the plane? He said, Pontius the pilot. Who else, right? <laughs> Just slightly out of context, my friend. But if we're not careful... We'll do that with the Bible. Now, before we get to the answer, I want us to get the context. And so, what I would like you to do is turn back just a few chapters to to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Now, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus was talking about the price of discipleship. He was talking about what it took to follow Him. Now, if you're not willing to follow Jesus, if you're not willing to be His disciple, how in the world are you going to ask Him to increase your faith or your discipleship? So, this is a foundational passage. Everything Jesus said in Luke chapter 15 is with Luke chapter 14... Understood. Now, let's start in verse 25 here. It says, And there went a great multitude after him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? Going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is very plain here. He says, you must forsake everything to be my disciple. Now, I will be the first to tell you that the word hate simply means hate. But let me ask you a question. This is one of those passages that is what we call an apparent 
contradiction in Scripture because God is love and we're supposed to love our enemies. Certainly we should love our family. In fact, husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Uh, you're, you're commanded to raise your children. So what, what is Jesus actually saying? Well, it's summed up in verse 35. You have to forsake everything. I couldn't begin, and I'm not going to give any stories because there'll be people that say, oh, preacher's talking about me and telling my secrets. No, I am not. Uh, but how many people have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ so a husband or a wife or a child will get right with God? See, that doesn't work. You can't get saved so that your husband will be a better husband, or your wife will be a better wife. Children, you can't get saved so that your parents will be better parents. You see, this is the lie of the purpose-driven life. You do not get saved to get a better life. You get saved because Jesus is the only one that can save you. Can we say amen to that? He's got to fix your life. He's got to make it better. Because it cannot bring glory to Him the way it is. But He cannot make it better until you give up what you want. You will never accept the best that God has for you until you turn loose of what you think is best for you. God always has a better plan than you ever possibly could. This is how you get saved. This is why there are going to be so many people in that day as Jesus was ending the Sermon on the Mount. He said, there's going to be many that say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works? But you see, they never got to the first point. Everybody would say, I love my faith to be increased. I want to be one of those great people of faith in the Bible. Have you forsaken all yet? Have you turned loose of everything in your life? Because if you haven't, Here's the testimony that Jesus gives. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear. Jesus said, if if you're that kind of Christian, where you want to follow me, and get what you think you deserve out of life. He said, you're just like salt that's gotten wet. It's not even worth the trip to the garbage can, to the dump. Or just throw it out in in the steps and the first rain, it all disappears. I don't even have to take it to the the dump. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, that kind of faith, this is not pleasant. But this is the foundation. We do not serve Christ to get something from Him. We serve Him because He is God. 
We serve him because there is none other. No church died for you on the cross. Jesus did. He is worth forsaking all. And you'll find out you cannot change hearts, but Jesus can. But so often, now I know this is going to sound strange, but so often we literally bind the hands of God. We stop Him from working in someone else's life because we want that person to change. Do you get that? If a person changes because you want them to, that's a wonderful thing. But how long is that going to last? Until they decide they don't want to anymore. That's how long it lasts. But if God changes a person, how long does that last? For all eternity, doesn't it? And I promise you this, God always takes a little longer than you think he ought to. He always does it differently than you think he will. In fact, if you've got something figured out, I promise you God's already got something else figured out. Because God is interested in one thing and one thing alone. God is interested in his Glory, not yours. You see, that's important because if we don't get that here, when Jesus gives this example that we're going to hear of in the next passage, it's going to be one of those things. I mean, uh, I I don't know how else to term it. Uh, If you like science fiction, I call it parallel universes. And what I mean by that is you say exactly the same things with exactly the same words and mean something completely different. You ever met anybody like that? You just cannot communicate, no matter what you say. I mean, in the issue of salvation, I've talked to people over the years, and and they'll say, oh, yes, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I receive him every time I go to church and take Mass. I receive Christ as my Savior. I said, that's not what the Bible's talking about. Oh, yes, it is. I met a man. He said, I was, I was drowning in Tampa Bay, and someone pulled me out, and I know that God saved me. And I'm going, that's, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And yet they'll hold to those things and you just cannot shake them. I remember one time when I was a student in Bible college, I was, we, I was talking with a lady and, and, and on the steps trying to witness to her at her home. And uh, she began to say certain things that led me to believe that she thought you could lose your salvation once you had it. And, and I said, ma'am, could I just ask you the que- uh, question? She said, well, sure, sure. He said, what does the word eternal mean? She said, it means forever. I said, if you could do anything to stop something that is eternal, would it be eternal? Of course not. Eternal is forever. I said, now I want you to read John chapter 10. I showed her the verse where Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. She says, I know that, but I've been saved ten times. I know I have. 
You see, that's what Jesus is talking about hating in this passage. If you're honest, every one of us have expectations of other human beings. Hello? I mean, if you could, how many lives would you rewrite so that your life would be better? How many parents have destroyed their children by trying to relive their lives vicariously through their children? Can't do that. How many Prince Charmings turned out to be bums because they did not fulfill the expectations of the bride-to-be? How many princesses turned out to be galley slaves because their husbands had all these things they thought they wanted in a wife And when they didn't get them, they didn't treat their wife the way they should. Let me tell you something. That's that's where faith in Jesus Christ starts. Is when you give up what you want from other people and just simply trust in Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? That applies to every area of your life. You say, well, well, you don't understand. My, 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 my spouse is unsaved. Uh, you don't understand. My God is bigger than any human being or any collection of human beings. But you don't know my boss is the devil incarnate. Said, no, he's not. Or she's not. Whatever the case may be. I remember sitting a couple down in my office one time, and I just, some of you remember this story. I I said, if I were to listen to you, and I looked at the wife, and I said, if I were to listen to you, and, and, and your definition, your description of your husband, I would have to believe that he was the devil incarnate. She goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I look at him and I said, there's only one problem. I said, if, if I were to listen to you tell me about your wife, I'd have to believe that she was the devil incarnate. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, they're sitting here doing this at each other and I'm sitting here. There's only one problem. I said, what's that, preacher? I said, there's only one devil. You're both wrong. They didn't like that very much. But let me tell you, it's true. You hold on to what you think and what you want, and you're going to be the most miserable person on the face of this earth. And you will never, never, ever know what true faith in Jesus Christ is all about. Do you know how hard it is to let go of what you want out of life? Just try it sometime. It's hard. But when you get faith in Jesus, what did he tell Abraham? He said, I am your exceeding reward. I am your shield. 
I'm your protection. I'm all that you need. What's that little course? Christ is all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. Except I've got to pay bills tomorrow. Except I've got to go to work tomorrow for this horrid person that calls themselves my boss. I don't know how they got promoted. Listen. If you want to start with the context of increased faith. Jesus said, faith starts when you hate everything else and just love me. Because you can't love Jesus and not love your wife. You cannot truly love Jesus and not love your children and your family. But you see, here's what's different. I'm not expecting anything anymore. I'm not asking for anything anymore. In fact, if they hurt me, I can still love them. And now we're getting into chapter 17. Because the immediate context for this statement, Lord, increase our faith, is verses 1 through 4 of chapter 17 of the book of Luke. Then he saith to his disciples, see, Jesus is giving instruction to his disciples. They've already settled this. They have forsaken all. They have put it aside. They have turned it all over. Christ is the only focus of their faith. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come. You know what? How many of you have ever been offended? By someone else in this room. You know, almost every hand to go up unless you haven't been around very long. People are offensive. It's not all just hugs and kisses in wonderful world. I'll tell you, when you get two people in a room, especially Baptist people, you've got three to five opinions on any given subject. Amen? Because we even disagree with ourselves. How in the world are you going to agree with someone else? Jesus said it's impossible that offenses aren't going to come. But then he pronounces a woe to the offender, to the person who brings those offenses. And he said it's better. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and and he cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Now that word offend there in the Bible simply means to push someone away from Christ or away from a decision of salvation. Those are scary words. But just stop and think about people you've met that said, Ah, oh, I, I, I used to believe that stuff, but fill in the blank. My neighbor was a Christian. I saw what they were doing. That preacher was this. That, that, that person was... 
The Bible says it were better that a millstone were hanged about their neck. How many of you know what have seen a real millstone? I mean, a small millstone's about this big around, and they usually make it in sections. And the reason why uh, is because the millstone is so heavy uh, that you couldn't pick up a whole millstone. Uh, if you ever want to see one, there's Phillipsburg Manor right up the uh, Route 9 there, Terrytown, New York. They have a millstone that goes back to the 1600s, a Dutch farm. And you can actually get ground cornmeal and wheat flour. They grew on the farm there. And, and it's really cool to see. But each little section of that millstone weighs over 300 pounds. And I think there's six of them to make up the whole half of a millstone. So just stop and think about how heavy an entire millstone would be. If that was tied to your neck and you went for a swim, not even the mafia is that good, are they? Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Jesus is not using hyperbole here. He's making a statement of truth. We need to pray that we're not the one causing the offense. Amen? Then he moves on. And he said, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive thee, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt not believe him. Is that what your Bible says? If it does... Uh, you got a problem because I just made that up. It says, thou shalt forgive him. But if somebody did the same thing over seven times in one day and said, I'm sorry, what, what is our first response? I'm not going to call you a liar, but I doubt your veracity. That's a very nice way of calling someone a liar. Uh, the simple truth is, Jesus said, listen, I'm giving you a ridiculous situation, but I want you to understand how ridiculous you and I are toward God with our need of forgiveness. Hello? How many times have we asked God to forgive us? You know what the Bible says? If we confess our sins, He is, what's the next word? Faithful. Faithful. You know what faithful means? God will always be there. Why? Because he paid for every sin on the cross. That's what it is finished means. Do you wish, do you want to have the same level of forgiveness for others that God has for you? Read the Lord's Prayer. That's included in there. Lord, forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. You see, 
This is what prompted the disciples to say, wait a minute, I don't have that kind of faith. Seven times in the same day, the same thing, and I'm supposed to forgive? Wait a minute, Lord, I, 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 I need more faith. How many would say, I'm with the disciples on that one, amen? Uh, I would need more faith to do that. Yeah, I think we all would. And do. And so what Jesus is doing here is, this is the trigger that brings the statement. And Jesus, of course, knew exactly what he was doing. And then Jesus makes a couple of statements here. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, if he had faith as a grain of mustard seed, he might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Now, a sycamine tree was the largest tree in the land of Israel. That, that would be common uh, everywhere. Uh, they say they grew somewhere between 50 and 60 feet high. If you got an idea, just look at some of the sycamore trees uh, that are across the street. Uh, that's a six or seven story building across the street here. That gives you kind of an idea. The trunk's about uh, that big around. What would it take to pick one of those things up out of the ground and transport it through the air roughly 60 miles to drop it into the sea? Uh, that'd be an incredible amount of force, wouldn't you say that? In fact, I, I don't know if our largest lifting helicopters could actually get that job accomplished to drop hooks out of the air and grab a hold of that tree and literally jerk it out of the ground by its roots and then carry that massive amount of weight and drop it in the sea. I, I, I don't know that we have anything that flies that could accomplish uh, uh, that task. And yet Jesus said, if you had faith as the grain of a mustard seed. You know how I many mustard seeds you could fit on the tip of your finger? He said, you just need one. If you had faith in that size, that's how powerful faith is. And I wish we could preach a whole sermon on the power of faith. There's no other force in the universe that is powerful as faith is. Nothing we know about. Now, we could drop a bomb on that tree and, and blow it to splinters, sure. We could put dynamite under it and blow it out of the ground. But... You're not going to pick it up as a whole tree and take it 60 miles for if we understand where Jesus was when he made this statement. That was about how far it needed to go to get into the sea. And yet he said, all you need is a grain. That's how powerful faith is. In fact, I challenge you that true faith is so powerful that you can't hold it to yourself. you got to give it away. you got to express it. you got to get rid of it. Or just like uh, so many things that, that we have, uh, don't ever pick up a piece of dry ice with your hands. It'll burn the flesh right off your fingers. Because it's so cold. 
And if you're going to pick up dry ice, make sure you have insulated gloves on. Uh, And make sure you're not in an enclosed space because the evaporating carbon dioxide will suffocate you. Uh, Very dangerous stuff. Acids need to be handled very carefully. And yet we use them every day to do all kinds of things. You see, I've heard things over the years like this. Oh, I believe Jesus paid for every sin and he's willing to forgive us, but I can't forgive myself. Oh, wait a minute. That's not faith. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, I paid for every sin. Well, I I can forgive everything, but that one thing they did, I'll never forgive them for that. Well, wait a minute. Faith is the basis for all forgiveness. Amen. You see, I've heard people, should they just get away with it? Well, wait a minute. When it comes to faith, it's not whether they get away with it. Are you the judge? Are you the one that's going to punish them? Normally, that comes with at least three to five and a free trip to Rikers. Sometimes it comes with 25 to life. I mean, you are not the judge. You are not the one that is to give back to that person what they... That belongs to God. But how many lives of people do you know that are destroyed by carrying around resentment and bitterness and... You know, faith is strong enough to get rid of that. To erase it. To transfer the guilt from that person to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, he'll settle those debts. Because he is the perfect and the most holy judge. And He is the one who will take care of it. All of our forgiveness is based on what Jesus Christ has done for me. And when I get saved, if I forsake everything, I give Him all of the debt that people owe to me as well as all the debt that I owe to God. It all belongs to Him. And I'll let Him take care of things. We say amen to that. You see, if we're going to have this kind of faith, here's the next story. Here's the illustration of where we got to go. The heart of faith looks like this. Verse 7. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come From the field, go and sit down to meat, and will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, 
When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, saying, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Now, how many of you are encouraged by those great words? That doesn't feel good, does it? You say, well, if I really believed this, I would never feel good about myself. Well, you know something? That's the first step to finding true joy. Because if you have to find your joy and your pleasure in good things about you, your list is indeed a very short one. Because no matter how many good things come up on that list, you still know all the bad things that you did. Amen? You see, this passage here, this story, does not make a lot of sense to us today. Because slavery is a terrible thing. I want you to understand that this servant did not get to choose their work. How many of you go to a place and you get to choose what you want to do at work? Well, I do because I'm the boss. Uh, well, no you don't. Because there's an IRS and there's a city of New York and there's all these other organizations telling you what you can and cannot do. Listen, the servant did not get to determine their work. They had to do what was determined for them by others. That's not a pleasant thought. We like to think we're in control. Uh, No one's in control. Let me tell you that. Only God is. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner you'll be free from your own mind to understand what it takes to get increased faith. But the servant had duties in the field. He had to feed the animals. He had to plow the field. He had to do labor with his hands. And once he was done... You'll notice here, it says, And will not rather, verse 8, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me. The Jewish people were very particular about things. When this servant came in from the field, his hands, his feet, his body was dirty. How many of you like a dirty person? Serving your dinner. Uh, He had to clean up. He had to change his clothes. And how many of you like waiting at a restaurant long times for your food? Sometime you ought to think about all the work that goes on. Right, Brother Dave? Behind the table. Brother Dave works at a restaurant. Uh, or doesn't, uh, anyway, long story short. But anyway, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes on in the kitchen, and a lot of that stuff happens hours and hours before you even show up at the restaurant so that your food can be brought to you in a decent amount of time. Do you say thank you for quick service? 
Uh, in New York, that's expected. It's one of the reasons I hate visiting Oklahoma. You can't even get a cup of coffee fast at Starbucks in Oklahoma. I mean, you're just standing. You're the only one in the place. You're the only order. And you better plan on waiting. Because nothing happens fast. Drives me crazy. Until I read this passage and I'm sitting there going, Oh, you got such a long ways to go. Amen? You see, the servant doesn't get thanked for doing what they're supposed to do. And when it's done, it says, we are to look at ourselves just like the servant and say, hey, there's nothing special about me. I am not the exceptional servant. I've only done that which is my duty to do. You see what that does? Is that takes my focus off me. Those of us that have been over to Union helping with the work on a little bit here have a little bit of an idea of how much human effort has been expended. But you know all that we've done? We haven't even gotten a good start yet. Because the violations are still there. Pray for us. We've still got a lot of paperwork to work out. We've got the work done. Now we've got to work through the paperwork to get the violations rescinded and, and, and everything cleared up. And some of these things are very complicated and and uh, we've already paid the fines and the building department doesn't think we've paid the fines. Well, I can't even start the process of proving that uh, until we get these things taken care of. And other things, I mean, it's just insanity. But you know what? Why, why do we do this? I mean, our next door neighbor came up to me, he's a Jewish man, and he says, he said, my wife's a Catholic. He says, I don't know what you Baptists are. He said, but in the Catholic church, he said, you be a saint. <laughs> I'm sitting there, what, what, what are you talking all, all the work you're doing to put this. He said, you, you, he said, you guys are incredible. He says, I just don't believe it. And, and what I wanted to tell him is, now here, you want the part that you're never going to believe? We don't get a salary for this at all. And our only goal is to get the building open so we can have services again. That's the only thing we're going to get out of this. We're not exceptional servants. In fact, we're just getting started. You see, that's an attitude that's going to allow God to increase your faith. We all like to think of ourselves as very special people, do we not? And, and my favorite joke about that, someone said, oh, you're just a special person. I, I, well, I left my helmet at home. How many people are old enough to remember that connection there? Is 
people who would hurt themselves used to be called special people, physically retarded, they could not walk and things, and they put special helmets on them. Listen, there's nothing exceptional about you or me or any other human being except for this, that Jesus Christ was willing to die for you. How come it's so quiet? Because it attacks the core of what we like to think about ourselves. We like to think of ourselves as have accomplished something. We like to be able to answer the question, my life is counted. I, I love that song, No Regrets. It was written about the testimony of a man who knew that everybody who heard his life story, he knew he was dying. And everyone who knew his life story was going to say, what a waste. And he did what he could to counter that by writing in his Bible, no regrets, so that someone would find it. And someone did find it. And they wrote that beautiful song. And it's uh, my wife's family recorded that a very long time ago. We'll just say that. Uh, decades ago. And uh, that song has blessed a lot of people and encouraged many, many people to go to the mission field. But let me tell you something. If you ever get thinking about the sacrifices you have made to become a Christian, what you've given up or what you've accomplished or what you've laid aside so that you can serve Christ, you need to go back to Luke chapter 14, read those last two verses about the worthless salt. Because nothing good has ever been accomplished in your life without Jesus Christ being the doer of it. That's Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Amen? Can we say amen to that? You know, next Sunday is our church's 24th anniversary. 24 years. I do not want nor do I desire in any way to be satisfied with what God has done in the last 24 years because there is so much that still needs to be done. Could we say amen to that? And you know what it's going to take? More faith. You know how we're going to get more faith? We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. If we can ask God to lay that upon our hearts, it will allow us to step forward by faith because we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in what we've done. We're not thankful for all we've accomplished, though we do give God the credit for all the things that have been done. Paul put it this way. In fact, let's just turn our Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, and then we'll be done. Philippians chapter 3. 
The Bible, of course, is its own best commentary. And Paul worded it so eloquently through the Holy Spirit here. Verse 13, or let's start verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything he be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Do you get what the apostle says here? He said, I'm pressing on to apprehend, to get a hold of that, which already has a hold of me. He said, I forget those things which are behind. I'm pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And he said, if you have a perfect or a right mind toward God, this is what you're thinking about. And if you disagree with this, God's going to show you that what I just said is the only way for a Christian to live. Now, let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'd really like no one looking around at this point. At the end of the sermon, I'd like to ask the same question I would I ask at the beginning. How many would say, Pastor, I still want Jesus to increase my faith. Would you just lift a hand up as a silent testimony? I, I still want Jesus to increase my faith. I, I understand that I need my faith increased. Would you just slip a hand up right now? Just hold it for a second. I want my faith increased. Many, many hands that were raised. You may put them down. Would there be someone here this morning and say, Preacher, I, I'm not, I haven't got past chapter 14 yet. I'm, I'm still holding on to things. And I, I'm not sure that my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not even sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me, Preacher, that I could... Settle the issue of salvation once for all in my heart and in my soul. Would you just slip up a hand and say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure about my salvation. Anyone at all? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we ask that you would work during this time of invitation. That you would help us. To let go of what we're holding on to, what we desire out of life, that we may be your disciples. Lord, that we be willing to count the cost of losing everything to follow you. And then, Lord, as you do use us, 
We ask that our heart would be tuned to not looking at us, but looking at you. To realize there is so much work to do. And you're the one who will get it done. But you want to use us if we we'll only surrender to your word and to your way. Dear Lord, work in our hearts that our lives may be different for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as the hymn of invitation is sung. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open.